University Baptist Church is a faith community striving to think critically, live creatively, and love continually in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We gather on Sunday mornings at 5775 Highland Road between Lee Drive and Kenilworth Parkland. Visit ubc-br.org or at ubcbr on Facebook for more information. As most of you know, we've been studying the book of John and the signs and wonders that Jesus is performing throughout John. Now, John just doesn't put this miracle out there as a show of Jesus' power. We see Jesus' power, but these miracles are a sign. They're a pointer to us that something greater, there's something bigger than just the action of the miracle. The why of the event, this is what we're looking for. We might notice the who and the where and the what, and all the other things, all the other details. But in the end, the why is the most important. This week, we're going to look at the fourth of John's signs and wonders. We often call it the feeding of the 5,000, but if you've done much biblical study, we can look and see that it was actually 5,000 men. There were also women and children there. So we're talking about a very large group of people that Jesus fed. This is the only miracle that included is included in all four Gospels, and it's even twice in Matthew and in Mark. So this is a pretty substantial and a pretty important part of Jesus' ministry and of John's Gospel. Now, I have always been a lover of mystery stories. Any other lovers of mystery stories out there? Yes. As a child, I used to watch Perry Mason and Murder, She Wrote with my mom. I still watch lots of stuff with my mom, but not those anymore. And I, one of my favorite book series to read was Encyclopedia Brown. Now, if you don't know Encyclopedia Brown, he was a young boy who ran around his neighborhood solving small things. In the books, he would come to the conclusion and he would say, well, I know how it happened, but he wouldn't tell you why. And you had to see if you could figure it out, what that clue was that he saw that maybe you didn't or did see. Flip to the back of the book or flip the book upside down and see if you had gotten it right. These days, I love to watch crime shows and read mystery novels. One of my favorite right now is the number one ladies' detective agency. If you haven't read that and you like mysteries, you need to go and read that. It's set in Botswana. Precious Ramotswe is a, um, is a woman who goes around solving crimes in her own female way. The thing about mysteries and mystery stories, mystery novels, mystery shows is that you have to pay attention to the details. Solving the case requires that you pay attention to everything, even the things that kind of they throw in there that seem mundane. Why did they show that group of dogs over at the back of the screen at just that time? Why did they make mention of the gloves that the gardener was wearing? You get the picture. What John is encouraging us to do with the telling of his signs and wonders is this. He's got limited space to tell us about this story. So the details that he's included are incredibly important details. Ways for us to solve the case of why. Unlike mystery writers, John is not going to throw in something that's going to throw us off the scent. Everything that he has included is important. So today, we're going to explore some of the who, where, and what, and unearth the details of the why. Now, we might not be Perry Mason or Encyclopedia Brown or Precious Wamotswe or Angela Lansbury, but I bet we can find some truths hidden in these verses. 
why would John have included this story and these certain details of the story? Why would Jesus have performed this miracle? And why is it important to us as individuals and as a church? So let's read together our scripture for the morning. John 6, starting with verse 4, verse 1. After this, Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, also called the Sea of Tiberias. A large crowd kept following him because they saw the signs that he was doing for the sick. Jesus went up to the mountain and sat down there with his disciples. Now, the Passover, the festival of the Jews, was near. When he looked up and saw a large crowd coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread for all these people to eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they among so many? Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now there was a great deal of grass in that place, so they sat down, about 5,000 in all. Then Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. When they were satisfied, he told his disciples, gather up the fragments left over so that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up, and from the fragments of the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten, they filled 12 baskets. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they began to say, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. When Jesus realized that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. May God add God's blessings to the reading and the hearing of the word. As we explore the details like detectives, let's look back at the beginning of the passage, verses 1 through 3. The first detail that sounds out, stands out to me is the where. Jesus has been preaching and healing, and people are following him. He's up into the mountains, perhaps trying to sneak a few minutes by himself with his closest followers. We often see Jesus trying to get away from the crowds. The crowds want certain things from Jesus, and he continues to be careful to take time to himself. Maybe we need to do a little bit of that ourselves, don't we? Then John tells us, it was nearly time for the Passover festival. In some of the translations, this is even in parentheses, like, it's kind of a deal. It's a deal. This is our story's setting. The Passover festival was a Jewish festival, perhaps the most important Jewish festival, which commemorated the Hebrews' deliverance from Egyptian bondage. Now, we know that Jesus will also be later be crucified during a Passover event. The Passover feast was also called the Feast of the Unleavened Bread and was connected to the barley harvest. We'll get to that in a minute. We're going to draw some interesting parallels as we go along to that parenthetical statement. So Jesus and his disciples are sitting there, and here comes a great crowd of people. One commentary suggested that Jesus and the disciples have sailed across the sea, and the crowd knows where they're headed, so, they've, so they're sailing across the sea. The crowd is coming around to kind of catch them where they know. So they've gotten there a tad early. They're sitting around waiting, and here come those on foot. And Jesus sees them coming. 
as they're coming, Jesus says to Philip, where are we to buy bread for all these people to eat? The scripture says that Jesus said this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. So right away, Jesus sees the need. He's working out how he's going to help these people and how he's going to also continue to teach them. They've walked a long way, and they are weary. He can see this need. Like in last week's story, with the healing of the pool at Bethesda, Jesus addresses the need himself. He doesn't wait to be asked to do something about it. This is true of us as well, isn't it? Jesus is already assessing and seeing our needs, even before we ask, maybe even before we know the need. When we lived in Slovakia still, John found out that his mom was sick and getting sicker. And we knew that he needed to go and be with her. And this was one of the hardest parts of living overseas for us, is when our parents weren't well. What do we do? How do we go? Um, we did not have the money for him to fly back to the States. It was not cheap. It, it, it never is, but at that time it was very expensive. To come back, to rent a car, to get to his, his parents' house. We didn't have that kind of money, but we knew this was something he needed to do, right? So Saturday night, we're talking about it, we're discussing it, we haven't come to a conclusion yet, but we know that he needs to go. Sunday morning, my mom gets up, goes to church like normal, comes into her Sunday school class, and a lady who is a dear friend of ours and also had been a contributor of ours and a partner with us for years, comes up to my mom with an envelope, and she said, I just got a feeling from God that I wanted to do something for the parks. In that envelope was almost exactly the amount of money that John needed to fly and to get a car to see his mom. God was taking care of us even before we made the plane ticket in all his kindness and all God's generosity. So, okay, just a second. Mm -hmm. I told that story three or four times out loud to myself so that I could get over crying about it. That didn't work. Anyway, it was, it was a very impactful time for us. It mattered. We saw God assessing our needs and, and caring for us in a very real way. So, Jesus sees them coming. He assesses their needs, and he asks the disciples, specifically Philip, so what are we going to do about this? Now, this is the only telling of this story in the Gospels in which Philip and Andrew have speaking parts. So when you watch a show, when you read a book, you know the people with speaking parts are the important ones, right? So they must have been important. Jesus sees the need and is working out how he's going to meet this need and maybe teach a little lesson in the process. Philip is calculating, and Andrew is out searching. So Philip answers him, 200 denarii would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. Philip is the calculator. He's the guy on the finance committee who's looking around and working it out and figuring out, like, we do not have enough money for this. What are we doing? It isn't even close. Like, they can't even come close to the amount to take care of these people. What are we going to do? And then we have Andrew. Andrew's seen the, seen the need, and he's out searching. He's looking for an answer. He's gathering his resources. He's seeing what he can find. Do you all know a few people like that in our congregation? Yes. So he's been searching. He's come up short, though. Jesus, 
I've been looking, but this is all I've found. Here's the key. Even though he doesn't really think it's quite enough, it's all he's found, he does bring the boy to Jesus. Did he believe that Jesus had the power to do something with this boy's offering? Do we? Do we believe that our meager offerings or the offerings of those around us can be multiplied in Jesus' hands? Or are we saying, oh, such a tremendous need, I just, I don't have very much. Maybe Andrew was saying, I'll see what I can do and I'll trust Jesus to do the rest. We don't know what Jesus is going to do with our meager offerings. I think about the group going to Ecuador this week. In some ways, the there is a sacrifice, going to another country financially, physically, in all these ways. But I have a feeling that these folks are going to see this small sacrifice multiplied greatly this week. And many of you have had similar situations. What do we do? What do we need to bring to the attention of Jesus? Is it a talent? Something financial? A job? A little bit of something that we have that we can bring to Jesus that can be blessed and multiplied? We don't know what Jesus is going to do with it. That is a fact. But faith is the expectation that he will do something with it. And then we have the boy. Now, here's another opportunity in John and throughout the Gospels for us to see that Jesus was all about elevating those in society that most would not have noticed. In story after story, interaction after interaction, as a clear, extremely clear thread throughout the Gospels, Jesus uses those in the world that we would, might see as useless. There's this young boy. We don't know much about him, but he's got a small lunch that in those times was traveling food for the poor. The fact that John tells us that these are barley loaves lets us know this was not a boy with excess. Throughout the Old Testament, barley was a sign and a symbol of food for the poor. So Jesus used this young, poor boy to show God's glory. I could look at every single one of the miracles and the signs of Jesus in John and pull out that same thread. I could preach the same sermon on that. Jesus is using the people that we do not expect. Now, another question for another day for you to ponder is, why was this one boy out of possibly 10,000 people the only one with food? Like, this makes no sense to me. Why was he the only one? Might others, maybe even others with more means, have been holding back their resources? Again, another sermon. This meal that Jesus multiplied was to satisfy their bodies. It wasn't the beautiful, high-quality, flowing wine like the sermon I preached um, a, a month ago. But it was food to satisfy them to meet their need. The extravagance in this miracle was not the food, it was the number of people that were able to be satisfied from these few small morsels. But it filled them until they had enough. So recently, I did this lesson with the kids, and it was about to be snack time, and I pulled out my little snack, 
my little Lunchable, and I asked them, is this going to be enough to feed the six or eight of us? And their answer was no. How much more might this feed all of us? And we're talking about 10 to 20 times the number of people sitting in this room. A hundred times, excuse me, a hundred times the number of people sitting in this room. That this little thing would feed us all, not just feed us a little bit, but fully satisfy us. Okay, I know we're not getting into the beautifulness of the miracle, so put that aside. So everyone sits down. Jesus takes the loaf. He gives thanks. He gives it to the people. I want us to explore that, these details just for a moment here. Then Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. Now here we see a number of connections back to the Passover. In the book of Exodus, the people were hungry, and as they walked around in the wilderness, they were hungry, they were tired, and what did God provide? Manna, bread from heaven. In the Passover celebration, the father of the house would take the bread, bless it, and give it to those seated. Jesus feeds the people in this telling of it. In the other gospel accounts, Jesus gives the food to the disciples, and then the disciples distribute it. But here, Jesus himself distributes it, like the father in the Passover celebration. So even as they are preparing for their own family's celebration in this scripture, Jesus is acting out those traditions as much as they wanted. They weren't looking around to make sure there was going to be enough. We've all been in situations like that, summer gathering, July. John says, as much as they wanted. And when they were satisfied, not until they were satisfied, the disciples began to collect the leftovers. Now, why didn't Jesus just let those leftovers be cast on the ground or maybe even put in their pockets? Let's look back to God's command that the Israelites collect the manna that they needed for that day and that day only. The disciples were called over, their baskets that they would have had as travelers in that time period, and asked to collect what wasn't needed. Let's don't miss that. This is beautiful. People nor food are insignificant. Nothing is wasted in God's kingdom. If there is anything of worth, Jesus wants it collected. Nothing is left behind. In Jesus' kingdom, it all matters. It is all significant. The leftovers of the feast, the young boy from a poor family, the tired, hungry travelers, even those who in just a couple verses we're going to see will misunderstand this sign altogether. I wonder what it might have felt like to be those disciples holding those full baskets, just wondering and marveling at all that Jesus had done that day. Verse 14 says, When the people saw the sign he had done, they began to say, This is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. End of show, cut, it's all good. Turn the show off, close the book, not so fast. There's gonna be another episode. Just at the end of the show, you think it's all gonna be tied up quite nicely and two minutes before the end, what happens? 
cliffhanger. Verse 15. When Jesus realized that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. They saw the sign, but they still misinterpret it. They think he is to be king. Now, when we went through these verses, when John assigned us these verses for, um, for, for our sermons, he stopped at 14. But like any good belligerent wife, I went ahead and added 15. No, I think this 15th one is important because like any good mystery, we want to know what's next. We want to see what's next. The next sign, the next episode, the next sermon. So there's your cliffhanger. God is up to something greater. We might want to pigeonhole God into something, make God into our own image, but God is some, up to something even bigger and better than that. We've got our own ideas of what this church needs to be, how it needs to function, how it needs to grow, or whatever, but this is only a fraction of what God wants to do in and through the individuals in this church and this church as a body. So with all these details, trying to solve our own little mystery of this scripture this morning, what are we to make of all this? Sometimes, honestly, it feels paralyzing that whatever we have, it's not enough. Whatever we do, it's just not quite enough to solve the problem or to, to do it, to meet the needs of those around us, whatever. Maybe we're holding back something, thinking that, just doesn't matter anyway. But here's the thing that is not a mystery. God is up to something. God wants to show God's power. Jesus sees our needs and addresses them, often even before we have the words to formulate or ask for it. Rather than standing around calculating the need, we've got to do our part, get out there, and see what we can find. We might find the answer in the most unlikely of places or in the most unlikely of people. God continues to use the surprising. Our Father loves us and wants to, us to be satisfied, maybe not filling our pockets, but certainly as much as we need. God wants to see this church flourish. What can you bring to God's kingdom? Our world is in great need. We see this need all around us. In the face of such need, what are we going to do? Now, I'm going to go ahead and warn you. Spoiler alert. Whatever we have, it's not enough. It's not. But in Jesus' hands, it is As we come to our time of response this morning, we're going to do something a little bit differently. This is a time of silent response. So I want you to get yourself comfortable. Take a few deep breaths. Close your eyes. Allow your mind to focus on what you've heard today. I'm going to give you a couple of, of minutes to open your mind and allow God to speak to you. Allow yourself to think about what you will do with what you have heard. <laughs> 